Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal me. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. Back in 1955, one of the most bizarre, convincing, and most investigated alien encounters ever happened in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Have you ever heard of Hopkinsville, Kentucky? I don't think so. Well, I mean, the place? Yeah. I've never heard of Hopkinsville. I don't know. I've heard of Kentucky. <laughs> Kelly, Kentucky. It's called the Hopkinsville, Kelly, Kentucky alien encounter. I've never heard the alien story. And, and you watch all the shows. Yeah. A- ancient aliens. Mm, more like the documentaries that come out on Netflix. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I don't, I had to search and search and search for anything on YouTube about this one, which is weird because it was, they call it the most convincing and investigated alien encounter of it, like ever. And you would think people would be talking about it more. Yeah, I don't know. 1955. It wasn't just a setting. It This wasn't just a sighting. It was so much more than that. At the time of the event, the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter turned the nation on their head. After Roswell in 1947, UFOs spotted in D.C. in 1952. The 1950s were a time when Americans were obsessed with UFO phenomenon, and the account, encounter fed into that. Not only did the people involved see something, They claim that they came face to face and even battled whatever it was. The question is, did those 11 people really battle entities from another planet or did they all collectively make the whole thing up? Or was it one of those moments when panic and fear set in and they were seeing something completely normal, but their brains reacted to it being otherworldly? Like 11 people. Yeah, no. You think that they're... I think they all saw what they're claiming they saw. Or they made it up. No. All 11 people made up the same thing. Well, I haven't even told you who the people are yet. Why are you making that? Because how does that happen? You can barely get two people on the same page of something. I know. And they've been, they stuck to the story until their death. Like, well, not all of them. I think, well, they all might be gone now. I think they're all gone now. But they, for the rest of their lives, repeated the story over and over again and always told the same story. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the whole story and then you can make your, I'll tell you the whole thing. You can make your determination after in an unincorporated area outside of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, on August 21st, 1955, Billy Ray Taylor was staying with friends and family at Glennie Linkford's farmhouse. Residents of the farmhouse included Glennie Linkford, her children, I think she was in her 50s, her children, Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer Lucky Sutton and John Charlie J.C. Hutton, and their respective wives, Vera and Arlene. Aileen. Vera and Aileen. Aileen's brother, O.P. Baker, and Billy Ray Tyler, and his wife, June. That's how many people were there. Aileen's brother, O.P. Baker, and Billy Ray Tyler, and his wife, June. So that's the whole 11 people. Both the Taylors, Lucky and Vera Sutton, were reportedly, and I don't know why this matters, but it says that they were interim carnival workers that were visiting the farmhouse. But I guess I feel like they, they think that make some kind of point that they were carnival workers. Like people always bring that up. Like no one brings up what anybody else does for a living. 
Yeah. But it makes a point of saying that they were carnival workers. I don't know if that means something. Billy Taylor left the farmhouse and went to the well in the backyard to draw some water. He saw something bright shoot across the sky. He ran back to the house to tell the others what he saw. Because he saw, like, something that shot across the sky and, like, crash-landed. He told them that he had seen a round metallic object with rainbow streaks trailing behind them. They either didn't believe him at first, or they just thought he was exaggerating what he saw. In fact, most people didn't believe him after this was all over. He was a, they. He was the one that embellished the descriptions of the aliens. He seemed to bask in the attention he got after the story came out. He was the only one, though, that anybody could say anything about. But it also happens to be the first person to have seen anything. An hour after he ran back into the house, claiming to have seen the saucer, the dog started barking incessantly, and Lucky claims to see the dog put his tail between his legs and run under, under the house. So Lucky wasn't believing what Billy Ray said, but then when the dog started having this reaction, he kind of... Animals always know. Yeah, and he started getting curious. So he and Billy Ray went back to the door, and they this is their, this is what they said they saw. They saw a strange glow in the midst of which they spied a small humanoid creature, about three and a half feet tall. It had an oversized head, almost perfectly round. Its arms extended almost to the ground. The hands had talons, and its oversized eyes glowed with a yellowish light. And the body gave off an eerie shimmer in light of the night's new moon. And they said it kind of, like, it looked like it was like a silver metal. Terrified, the two men grabbed a 20-gauge shotgun and a 22 rifle and fired at the quote-unquote little man. Its hands, now raised as if it were held up at gunpoint as it came toward the back door, like, kept walking towards them as they were shooting. They reported that it did a flip, scrambled upright, and fled into the darkness. Shortly after, the men saw a similar creature appear in a side window, and they fired through the screen at it. Still impervious to bullets, the little man again flipped, then disappeared. Glennie Langford says that she went into the hallway because the boys, obviously, they're shooting out windows and doors. So Glennie went to the hallway, crouched down next to Billy, and she saw one approaching the door. And she told that to um, a lady, and this comes up often. A lady named Isabel Davis is uh, the author of an extensive report called Close Encounters at Kelly and Others of 1955. The initial news report of the case claimed that there were 12 creatures that surrounded the house. The little gray men seemed confused as they approached the house one by one and acted very strange. They peeked through the windows and tried to get in through the front door and even floated up to the trees at one point. When Taylor, Lucky, and some of the other men went outside, they were nearly ambushed by the creature waiting for them on the roof. A talon claw allegedly swiped at Taylor before floating away. Floating away. They describe it as floating away. After going back inside, more creatures appeared and more shots were fired. But the bullets didn't affect the creatures. The family said that the sound of the bullets hitting them was similar to that of ammunition hitting a sheet of metal. After the one-sided gunfight, they all settled down and tried to decide what to do. Glennie Linkford came to the conclusion that clearly the beings were not trying to harm them, but they didn't want them hanging around her home either. When they thought the coast was clear and hadn't seen a bean for a little bit, they all ran to the cars, like all 11 of them, ran to their cars and drove to the Hopkinsville police station. The police had no idea how to deal with their story. People had been seeing flying saucers since, obviously, Roswell. Chief of police said, these aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help. What they do is reach for their guns, which is what they did. Yet here they were, women and children, hysterical, one man with a pulse of 140 beats per minute, 
which a detective, another investigator measured. And then directly from the Isabel Davis report, at the police station, certainly the officers were sufficiently struck by the family's behavior to take immediate action. They radioed Madisonville headquarters of the Kentucky State Police, which broadcast orders to state troopers patrolling the highways into others at home. So the police took it seriously. The police took it seriously, not because they said it was an alien encounter, but because there were 11 hysterical people in their station all claiming to have seen the same thing. Right. So they called the state troopers and they called the Christian County Sheriff's Office, which is in the same building as the city police. They sent a deputy sheriff and telephoned the staff photographer of the Kentucky New Era, which I am not sure why anyone would alert the media. I mean, maybe they did what it do back, you mean? In the, back in those days. I don't know that they, I mean, would you want your officers to look foolish walking around looking for little gray men? Like I find that part kind of weird. Chief Greenwell at home answered the telephone to hear his desk sergeant say, a spaceship has landed at Kelly. If this is your idea of a joke, Greenwell answered, it's not mine. I'm not joking, chief. The state police are sending units there. Shortly before this, the exact time can't be established, but it was sometime about the beginning of the night's investigation, occurred this strange incident of meteors, which is, I think, suspect that he saw the spaceship, had this whole encounter, and meteors were falling down that night too. Like you, Who said the meteors were falling down that night? It's general consensus. There were meteors that night. Okay. Were they meteors or were they UFOs? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> One of the state police reported that at Shady Oaks, a restaurant two or three miles outside of Hopkinsville toward Kelly, he had heard several meteors passing overhead with noise like art- artillery fire or a whining sound. And had looked out of his car in time to see two of them. So state police... When did meteors make noise? I have no idea. Like artillery fire and whining. And he actually saw them. He said he looked at the car in time to see two of them. They were traveling in a slightly descending trajectory from approximately southwest in the general direction of that farm. So at least Billy Taylor has backup that a state police saw something flying through the air that night. Information spread quickly. Within an hour, the small farm was crawling with police and members of the media. Once they hit the newspapers, the story spread. Later the night of August 21st, after police and people and the media had left, the family tried to settle down but weren't able to. Around 3 a.m., they said that the creatures returned. They heard the sound of scratching, running, and running on the roof. Neighbors claimed that instead of fighting back this time, They decided to pack it up and leave. They were clearly afraid of something. In the following days, after radio stations and newspapers, including the New York Times, reported on the incidents, this is so, I can just picture this, hundreds of curiosity seekers descended on the farm, often ridiculing the sentence as ignorant and fraudulent. When no trespassing signs were proved useless at discouraging the people, the family tried charging admission, 50 cents for entering the grounds, a dollar for information, $10 for taking pictures. After that, the skeptics blasted them as fortune-seeking fabulous. Like, like from, they made it up for money? Yeah, like, from what, like, the newspaper said, hundreds of people were filling, like, their little, like, country road and traipsing through their farm to see if they could see anything or prove anything or, you know what I mean, be a part of it. Yeah. And they tried to stop them because it was out of control. These were not... Especially Glennie Langford and like her kids, 
They were just normal, people. simple townsfolk. Like they didn't, they didn't. It it became overwhelming. Obviously, this happens, you know, with people that things become overwhelming. So they actually tried to hang no trespassing signs, like back off, thinking that would make people go away. And that didn't work. So then they said, well, well, then we'll freaking charge them and make money off this. Or they said, well, freaking charge them and people won't do it anymore. Yeah. And doing that kind of went against them, made them look like they were fortune seeking. Mm -hmm. As the Kelly story spread into the world, it took a life of its own. The number of little men grew to a dozen or more. When the police, its state troopers, and some military personnel from Fort Campbell arrived at the farmhouse, they did an investigation. But it wasn't done as a normal investigation. They checked the house as a family, particularly the women, wouldn't enter that until the police checked out the house when they went back with the police. The women wouldn't go in the house until the police checked it. And then they walked to the grounds of the farm. What they didn't do, which would have been normal for an irregular investigation, was cordon off the area, do a precise investigation, but everyone was walking all over the place willy-nilly. Because, I mean, how are the state troopers and the town's police in the sheriff, what do they know about investigating an alien encounter? Right. They didn't, to me, common sense would have been investigated like you would anything else. Yeah. But they didn't. They kind of just didn't know what they were doing and walked all over the thing, like the whole wooded area. And then they, some of them even went into the woods. Some of them went to the gully where Taylor thought he saw the ship land. Some of them went in and checked the house. They found evidence that a battle had ha- happened but by the shell casings, obviously, and the damage to the screens at the house, but no sign of any kind of alien or any other encounter. Directly copied from the Davis report, the atmosphere was tense. Again, Chief Greenwell was empathetic. In and around the whole area, the house, the fields that night, there was a weird feeling. It was partly uneasiness, but not entirely. Everyone had it. There were men there that I would call brave men, Men I've seen in dangerous situations, and they felt it too and told me so. The day after the incident, police investigators returned again in daylight to the farmhouse, searching for evidence of a saucer landing, footprints, blood trails, or scratch marks on the roof. They found nothing. Bud led with a local radio station employee, interviewed the adult witnesses, and made drawings based on their accounts. He was impressed by their remarkable consistency. Even though the men were away from the farmhouse all day, unable to coordinate with the others he was impressed that all of them were saying the same thing yeah exactly the same thing they were describing the same little gray men they were saying how they came up to the house what they did they none of them varied from and this. he's saying it had to happen this way because there was no time for them to get their story straight basically is what he's saying that's exactly what he's saying yeah but if you make up a story and decide, like, you and I decide, okay, we're going to say we saw an e- UFO. Wouldn't we both say the same thing? I mean, yes. But they would have had to plan all this and then shoot at nothing to create all the fake battle and then all hysterically show up at a police station. But, like, with kids, too. There were kids there, too. Like, yeah. to involve the kids in that and the kids keep the story, that's what... And and it wasn't something like it was an alien encounter, like something that they would get mocked for. Yeah, like why would you want to be known for that? Well, the incident eventually attracted the attention of the Air Force UFO investigation program Project Blue Book. Documents suggest that its team never fully officially pursued the matter, 
beyond checking in with their Fort Campbell counterparts, because um, they had sent military to be on scene for at least a portion of it. The notes include the initial CP, which stands for crackpot in Project Blue Book. I don't know what crackpot means. Yeah, it's not really a common word that's used anymore. No, to crackpot sounds like a druggie to me. Oh. <laughs> like, I don't know. Crackpot means like lunatic, like someone who's off their rocker. Like, they're all crackpots. Hmm. Yeah, that's funny. How funny. You're like using the word literally, like crack. I guess. Yeah, no, crackpot meant like unusable. A cracked pot is unusable. Can't Like, they're nuts. They're crazy. Like, Got it. Uh, one of the most thorough investigations of the Kelly incident was undertaken in 1956 by the lady I mentioned, ufologist Isabel Davis, who, by the way, is a whole other story, and published several decades later by the Center of UFO Studies, a group founded by astronomer Dr. J. Allen Hynek, Project Blue Book's civilian investigator, which he is a whole other story. Nearly Her two, nearly 200-page report, co-written with Ted Blotcher, Includes detailed maps, drawings, document, documentary records, summaries of similar incidents around the world, and interviews with several of the Sutton family members and several of the police investigators. She wrote to, and then I'm going to say this, um, it's called the Center for UFO Studies. That acronym, is that when something is short for something? Yes. Is CUFOS, C-U-F-O-S. And I emailed them. I wrote to CUFOS email and asked how I could get a copy of the report and they were kind enough to send me a link to it. But when I asked them if they would be interested in commenting on the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, um, they declined. But you know, I had to ask that. Yeah. But I should have asked like, they were definitive. Like, well, she said, no, she wouldn't delay that wrote me back and then said, ask this guy or whatever. So I wrote to him and he's like, no, you have the report. That's like all we have to say on it. I should have asked if they pronounce it Kufos. C-U-F-O-S. I'm kind of assuming. In her report, Davis summarized the concern about the lack of physical evidence, none of the possible explanations, a deliberate hoax, a publicity play, group hallucinations, which made sense. None of them made sense. Well, questions arose about whether the young men were exaggerating, possibly fueled by hidden stores of liquor. Davis's strong impression after meeting Mrs. Lankford was one of a somber, no-nonsense matriarch who hated her newfound limelight and had no reason to lie. None of the witnesses Davis noticed had any history of making preposterous allegations. And she, Mrs. Linkford, Glenny Linkford, was a, like, no alcohol was allowed at her farm, ever. And anybody in her family would have known that. Her sons would have known it. They were never known as being, like, drinkers or partiers or roustabouts or whatever you want to say. Like, they weren't, they were just a normal, hardworking family. Should I literally mention you might hear our Great Dane snoring? Every once in a while, Haley has to reach down and pet her giant Great Dane because he keeps snoring. I'm trying to, like, get him out of deep sleep. But he wants to be in here with us, and apparently the sound of me telling his story and pets him to sleep. I don't know. His snores are loud to us, but I don't know if the mics are picking him up. So you might hear it, you might not hear it, I don't know. But, yeah, it's loud. He's completely comfortable right now. In 2006, Joan Nichols, Senior Research Fellow of the International Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and a self-styled paranormal investigator, reviewed the accumulated evidence in an article entitled Siege of the Little Green Men, the 1955 Kelly, Kentucky Incident. In it, he raised suspicion about what he called Billy Taylor's embroidered testimony. 
He matched Taylor's UFO sighting with similar reports from the day, which suggested a small meteor in the vicinity. See, I don't think that's fair. Not suggested. A state trooper said he saw the meteors. Yeah. As for the little little men, he changed it from little green men, and they never said the people, the little, the aliens were green. They said they were gray, and they never called them little green men. They called them little gray men. Now he's changing it to little men, quote unquote. Nickel floated an explanation used for other alien encounters. He said that they were owls. What? In particular, the great horned owl, a.k.a. the hoot owl. It has long wings that can be mistaken for arms, along with talons, yellow eyes, long ears, and a round head. That might also match the little men description. As for the metallic shine, Nichols suggests that could easily have been reflecting moonlight. Have you ever seen a great horned owl? No, but I don't feel like I have to, to be able to say. They're giant. Look, literally Google one. We should give our audience a chance. I had to look them up because I was like, come on. What is it? Um, great horned owl. He said, but while owl, hoot owls are known to be active at dusk and extremely aggressive when defending their nest, some investigators question characterizations of the creature as hostile. To some, their behavior that night in Kelly appeared to be simply curious. I took this part directly from her report, which, because I couldn't have written it better. They're not, didn't they say that the, the little men were like three feet tall? Yeah. Or something? I don't think these are three feet tall. How, is there like, like, can you click on something? But they're big, they're giant, and they have talons. They do. And they flew up to the trees instead of floating. This is scale to a grown man. Yeah. That's not big. Do they say how tall they are? Doesn't matter. That's a silly excuse, I'm going to say. See, I'm not used to this, Haley. You're usually the paranormal stuff. You're crapping all over 19 this. 19 to 35 inches tall. And what is three feet? 36 inches? 19 to what? The tallest they are is almost three inches. Three feet. I'm three feet. And, and they were describing them as being three feet. Yeah, but when they're saying, a, like, three foot tall body with a super round head and arms and whatever. Like you can tell the difference between an owl's wingspan. Like their head is not so much more round than their body. Like if you saw that in a shadow or at dark, it would look like it's all the same size. You wouldn't be able to determine the head between the body. Like, look, that's not a big round head. No, that's weird that they say that. It looks like it's part of the body. Yeah. I don't believe it. Following the publicity came the sightseers. The sentence Having spent one night, according to their story, in fighting off the inquisitive little man from outer space, we're now destined to spend nights and days fighting off even more inquisitive human beings. Though they showed no signs of realizing it, a second and worse invasion was rolling towards the farm, and they would have no more success in getting rid of these unwanted visitors than the first group. As the news spread, the crowds grew thicker. This is what I described earlier. Their cars jammed Old Medicineville Road. They stared and pointed. They stopped their cars, got out, walked around the house, opened doors, and walked in. That's ballsy. Asked questions, told the family to pose for pictures, laughed, and made jokes. The little men had been terrifying, but at least they had stayed outside the house and taken themselves off by daybreak. So is the public, are they doing all, is the public doing all this to make fun of them, or is it because they want to see something they're curious first and then because that sounds more like they're just harassing them well at first i think that they they went there to try and see something and then they got there and 
it wasn't scary anymore and it didn't seem threatening and they didn't see anything. So then they started, you know, being humans, I guess. The human horde grew every minute, swarming more and more as the day wore on, everywhere uncontrolled and making themselves free of the place. Miss Linkford told Mr. Andre that someone had gone out to the gully and come back with something in his hand. There were too many people around for her to know who it was, and she didn't remember what he had shown her. So this is a family claims now, 70 years later, that so much, like they didn't do a regular investigation that night, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next day they were swarmed by sightseers who just had run of the whole entire area. So they're saying if there were was any evidence that had survived that night, there was no chance of recovering it. Yeah. One of the most enduring elements consistently mentioned in all the accounts of the Kelly Hopkins Bill incident revolves around the presence of an unsettling radiance. Billy Taylor recounted observing a rainbow-colored light trailing the unidentified spacecraft. Well, following the confrontation, the family asserted witnessing an emerald glow casting an eerie illumination across the woods. Additionally, there were mentions of luminous figures in their radiant eyes. Despite these vivid descriptions, some skeptics propose an alternative explanation, suggesting what the family might have seen was foxfire, which is a bioluminescent fungus commonly found in decaying wood. The distinctive bright green hue of foxfire, while terrestrial in origin, can evoke an otherworldly appearance, especially when observed without prior knowledge of his existence. Okay, sure. But what about the little men? Right. So I watched a show, which I really want you to watch. It's called UFO Witness, which have you ever watched that one? I don't know. It's with Ben Hansen, which I'm confused. I thought Ben Hansen was a paranormal guy. I couldn't tell I guess you. we cross over UFOs, paranormal. He has a show called UFO Witness, and he had Lucky Sutton's daughter on and um, she claims that what happened that night was very real. Their father, not known for his dramatics or nonsense, told the story of that night for the rest of his life. Although the land, the farmhouse, was has actually stayed in the family, like it's still in the family today, their grandmother, Glennie Linkford, sold the home, home within weeks of the encounter and moved away to an apartment in Hopkinsville. Like, she was that afraid. She sold her farm. Yeah. And moved to an apartment. She, nor the others there that night, could stand the thought of living there anymore. She also said that she herself, as decent of the people on the farm that night were, she was approached by a man who told her that he has information about the night of the farmhouse. On his deathbed, he said he had something he had to share before it was too late. He told the daughter that the alien encounter was real. He was in the military at the time, and on the night of the Kelly encounter, and hours after the battle, there was another sighting of a crash landing and a truck from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base came and picked up what had crashed and left the scene quickly. He said he couldn't find peace until he made sure someone in the family knew that that happened the same night. That the Air Force Base sent a truck out to pick shit up and yeah. drive away with it. Also, they spoke to someone who was nearby that night and a friend of Lucky Sutton. He was only a teenager at the time, and I think Lucky was in his late 20s, early 30s, but he was really nice to the teenager took him hunting and fishing and stuff. So he was really close to the family and to Lucky. It was really cute. Like he says that he, he feels like it was an honor to have known Lucky Sutton. He clearly remembers the fear the family showed that night. He also made a very good point that these weren't people who could afford to shoot up their own home. Right. Like they destroyed parts of their house shooting at 
owls? No. He said he told a story of an area behind the trees where it looked like the area, like the grass and the like landscape had been shaved off after this happened. And he said that um, when Ben Hansen visited the site, it was still, 70 years later, all overgrown except for that one area had never grown, which I find very suspicious. I think that's very interesting. The family also tells a story that two men in black, which we're going to do a story on the men in black later. About um, these specific men in black? The real men in black oh. that everyone, like, they claim that there really is men in black. Well, the family claims that two men in black, and this would have been way before anybody had suspicions about there being real men in black, came to the house, introduced themselves, and then spent time in the gully area where the shaved grass was and took samples from the area. Lucky Sutton's daughter ends her interview by saying, I can't claim to know what happened that night so long ago, but I can say something visited that farm that night and her family was afraid of it. I believe it. You do? Yes. I kind of believe it too. Because they don't have, these weren't people that would do something like this. No, and there's too many people that are saying the same thing. Kids are involved in this big old hoax. I don't believe that. And they all were hysteric when they got yeah. there. And I believe that, I believe that, People from the Air Force showed up. Mm -hmm. Which is all the same stuff that happens today when right. people claim that right. UFOs are around. And Well, I don't think people make fun of people anymore. No, but well, I, I mean, mean it still point. feels like there's some type of cover-up. Yeah, for sure. By the government, the yeah. Air Force. Yeah, I agree. The story has lived on for just under 70 years, 69 to be exact. And the people of Kelly, Kentucky, embrace their alien encounter heritage. For years, they've been hosting the Little Green Men Festival with music, food, and lots and lots of displays of little green men. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.